welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship. Welcome. Yes, that was a restrained intro. We just had a behind-the-scenes intro that was <laughs> questionable. <laughs> questionable. Delete. Yeah. Thank Thank the Lord for editing. You know? Yeah. What if this was What What if this was like live on the air, like on the radio on ninety-five-five WSB? Our lives would look a little different, perhaps. Yeah, you'd probably be fired. Wow, really? Yeah. You think I'd be just you'd, done, you'd huh? You'd probably pop off and say something that would get you in the headlines. Oh. Not because I have, but I eventually would. Yeah, it's yeah. inevitable. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, maybe so. Um, well, we're back it's kind of with... A, you're, uh, it feels a little subdued in here today. It does. It, I mean, It's it, probably the rain. Well, yes. So I was telling this to somebody who I had lunch with today that I hate, the fluc- I hate fluctuating weather. Yeah, like I want to know if it's if it's winter or if it's spring. Oh, Not, well, you live in the wrong city. I, well, it's the wrong month, right? March is notorious for like sandal weather on a Sunday, as it was. Yeah, it, it, we flirt with the end of winter and then return, yes. and yeah. and then today I'm having to wear a jacket, mm-hmm. you know, in cold rain. That just that I don't know. Maybe I should just move to California. Maybe I should move to San Diego. Well. In some sense, I would say we should all move to San Diego, but <laughs> San Diego's got its own problems. Yeah, stay classy. We don't have to go San into that. Yeah, all our, all our stay San, classy. All, <laughs> all, all our uh, oh San Diego gosh. listeners, you know, shout out to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we might want to hit the delete button again and start over. No, we're not starting. It's over. So, we're just. We're just. Yeah, we're it's kind of a dreary over. day. It so is we, kind of we're carrying day. a little bit of that into yeah. the weekday worship. Yeah, and we're talking about one of James' favorite topics ever. Is it? I don't know. Is it? I, you're the one who said it. I mean, I just brought it up, and you said you were cool with that. Yeah. We're talking about parenting. Parenting. Parenting children, which I have none of. <laughs> As opposed to parenting, you know, <laughs> squirrels. <laughs> Farming? I, you know, I don't raising know. Raising chickens? <laughs> Husbandry? <laughs> no, we're talking Husbandry. about parenting. I did see an article, Husbandry and Parenting. I that was an article? I, I looked up articles on parenting, you know, to get some hot takes for this episode. And one of them was, I saw a title, Husbandry and Parenting. For By Thabiti, Anya Whaley. Oh. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't click on it, but there is a metaphor somewhere for that. Somewhere. Husbandry. So We're not going that deep today. We're not going, we are not going that deep. Um, I kind of just wanted to talk about, uh, I mean... <laughs> Parenting, you know, there, there's so many different ways you could go with that. Um, particularly, probably the context I'm thinking of is probably middle school, high schoolish. Um, not like parenting with young, young, young kids, but like kind of kids who are becoming young adults. Um, and maybe it's so so adolescence. I have, I have experience as a son, right? You have experience as a father and as a son, but that was a little longer. Played both ago. parts. Yeah. I was a it wasn't little, that long ago. It was a little longer yeah, It feels like yesterday. Um, I mean, I'm still a son, for the record. Yeah. You are. <laughs> I'm just saying, like... Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about maybe just a couple things that were... I, I still are, struggle with some of the same, um, you know, pubescent, co- probably, things as well. <laughs> so you're still a child at heart. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have my mood swings, probably. I... 
I still have my childishness and foolishness that. Well, your wife would say so. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. Um, I wanted to talk about maybe just a couple of things that were maybe unhelpful, maybe as a son and as a father, or, or even just as parents and how we think about parenting, and mm-hmm. maybe some, some things that uh, that are just broad in, uh, in terms of helpful ways to think about parenting well. Well, so let me say this real quick. Go ahead. I, we have a lot of people in our church who are not parents, and we have a lot of people in our church who are not parents, who, if they are parents, are not parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, this conversation is for our entire church, though, yes. and for, I mean, anybody listening in on whether you're a parent or not, because we're going to talk about, I think, parenting from the standpoint of um, it, everything we talk about here on the podcast is really about the the building up and shaping of a local church. Yes. And the entirety of a local church, like Generations, has a vested interest in parenting. Yes. And if rightly uh, living in community, is actually participating in the project of parenting in yeah. some way. Yeah, and so one of the subheadings I had today was uh, calling parenting a community project. And uh, even think about in Scripture, you hear these, these, term, these terms that are being applied to people within the church, such as spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers. Right. I mean, these are explicit ideas of kind of uh, taking responsibility for for uh, your for spiritual children in the church that are that are pretty significant in mm-hmm. uh, the New Testament's understanding of how a community of Christians works. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something I want to hit on. But here's where I wanted to start because um, <laughs> this is a, a verse that I've heard you uh, uh, bring up many times. Oh. I've heard you bring up many times in kind of trying to want to sec- set the record straight okay. on this verse. Uh, oh, because it's I, thrown around. I think I know where you're going with it's this. It's thrown around by, it, how, this is a t-shirt somewhere. Um, and it's Proverbs 22, 6. And uh, we've all heard it. Train up a child. Train up a child in the way yeah. he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that's a verse we've many of us have heard. And I think maybe some have uh, probably applied in unhealthy ways or thought of in unhealthy ways. So how do we even think about it? Like, that's an explicit parenting verse, right? It, and by the way, just the fact that you said that, there's not a lot of those. Yeah, there's not. There's not a lot of explicit parenting verse. It's actually, the Bible is surprisingly quiet mm. on some parent, on yeah. a lot of parenting things. Yeah. So usually when you find one, it, it, a lot of times it's thrown around a lot. Yeah. Um, so what do we do with this one? Well, we don't understand it or receive it as a promise from God or a guarantee from God that if we teach our children uh, the right way to walk or the right things to believe, that they will then um, get on board. <laughs> Why not? That's what it says. It is what it says. Um, so we have to understand uh, from a hermeneutic standpoint, that is from biblical interpretation, we have to understand genre of writing. Um, and the context of things. And so Proverbs are not promises from God. Rather, Proverbs are truisms. Uh, aphorisms would be another name for that. They are uh, observations, um, insights from life. Principles. Um, principles, um, learned 
<laughs> realities uh, that hold generally true, yeah. that are on balance, that are often true, that, that if, um, you know, another example would be if you read, there's, I can't remember the reference exactly, but one of the Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Yeah. Well, try answering every intense relational situation you're in gently. Mm-hmm. And what you will find is it does not always turn away wrath. Sometimes it actually intensifies wrath coming at you because yeah. somebody who's wrathful is wanting to provoke you. And if you're not provoked and you stay calm and you stay gentle, they actually get more agitated. Yeah. But in general, if you will respond to anger and animosity and outrage and wrath coming at you with gentleness, on balance, more often than not, you're going to end up de-escalating the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's generally true, but it's not a promise of tit for tat every single time you are gentle towards somebody who's wrathful that the wrath will be averted. Yeah. Right? So, so even, in the same way. Ahead. Oh, good. I mean, even you think about within Proverbs, you have verses that will say that if you're trying to read it in this very literalistic way in terms of uh, these are these are uh, commands or uh, or even promises in a direct way. You think about the the guidelines it has for what to do with fools. So in one verse it says, "Answer the fool in his folly." Yeah. Literally, like two verses later, it says, "Don't answer the fool in his folly." Right. <laughs> right. And, They're actually back to back verses. Yes. Yeah. Right. Saying contradictory things. And so, uh, I like to think of Proverbs as like a wise grandfather, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Who's giving you uh, principles about the world. Yeah. Um, that more often than not, you can bank on them. Yeah. Um, but they're not dogmatic. Right. And they're, 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 they apply to even more than just that sentence. Um, in terms of like you take a principle and it, it can have a bunch of different contexts or it can have mm-hmm. a, different, a bunch of different applications. Yeah. Um, so I guess what we're trying to get at, this was in a conversation on hermeneutics, is just not taking a verse like this and... Either yeah, so making it a cop out or making it a, a burden on another parent or maybe even yourself. Yeah. That so doesn't it, honor scripture. So that meaning. is to say that in in within the family of God, if you have uh, nuclear families where mom and dad are walking faithfully with the Lord and they're trying to bring their kids up in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, um, and they are, let's say, obviously not perfect, but they're walking consistently with, um, you know, uh, with with Jesus as parents and in their personal lives. And so they're both teaching the things of God and they're modeling the things of God for their family. In general, you're removing significant barriers for your children to believe. And they're likely more often than not probably going to end up following Jesus because your following of Jesus made, made sense of the world for them. Right. And And that's many of our stories. And the Holy Spirit uses that. Right. That's many of our stories. Right. But that is not a guarantee that every faithful parent's, children are going to walk with That's Jesus. That's not a doctrine. Right. Right. Um, even I was looking at some numbers from Joe Carter, a guy at TGC who evaluates a lot of uh, reports and data um, and studies mm-hmm. um, and culture. And, and he was, he was looking he was, he, he had an article on some, uh, some numbers showing that um, in positive ways last year, there was some, some data that showed that, uh, that evangelicals are, their kids are retaining faith in very positive ways in some in in, uh, in some studies. 
And uh, so, I, and I think that generally bears out. The mo- most people that I know are Christians came from Christian homes. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's generally a a uh, a sure bet that you will find lots of Christians and p- kids who who are young adults who become Christians or stay Christian because they were raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, so that proverb is really, I think, an encouragement to parents, right? That hey, be faithful. Yeah. Right. More often than not, that's going to be to your advantage and to your children's advantage. Um, I think it speaks to both the content of what we teach as well as the lifestyle that we model. But then there's also that that phrase, I think it says, if I'm not mistaken, in the end, they will not depart from it. Is that right? So there's also an urging... When he's old. When he's old. Okay. Or one. I think another translation says in the end. So that that means, that doesn't mean he's never going to struggle. He's never going to stumble. Yeah. He's never going to walk away and then come back, right? There, like there's an urging there to play the long game, Yeah. right? So, yeah. so uh, be patient towards your children and yeah. don't treat them as finished products when they're still in the middle of thinking through life and yeah. thinking through the big questions of life and yeah. wrestling with the faith because within the family of God, there's going to come a point rightly and developmentally where any child if they're going to come to a fully developed faith of their own, they're going to have to interrogate and push back on the faith that you've handed down to them. They're going to have to contend with that and wrestle with it a little yeah. bit and think it through more yeah. for themselves. And, and they have a path to go back down, mm-hmm. right? So so they, there's a there's a path that they've dreared off of, but mm-hmm. they can only have a path to drear off of because mom and dad forged a path for them to walk on. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think that's very important to and to yeah. So they may veer off for a time, but yeah. you've given them a place where they can maybe find their way back in a in, yeah. a, in a way forward. They have something to find their way back yeah. to. Sure. Right. Okay. The other thing I I thought was was worth mentioning, just in terms of maybe just some unhelpful things that that are um, I don't know. Maybe you hear this as much today as as in older days. Um, but I remember hearing this a lot, not necessarily from my parents all the time, but just in the milieu of kind of Christian. Milieu, that's a good word. It is a good word. There's a lot of vowels strung together at the end of that word. There is. Go ahead, sorry. I'm glad you're such a grammarian. <laughs> <laughs> grammarian, that was yeah. a total nerdy word. But I just remember, I mean, I went to Christian school, grew up in church, grew up in a Christian area, right? Um, I heard a lot of, particularly men, Say things like this a lot, and I mentioned this in our in our uh, study, our, our doctrine of scripture class a few weeks ago. Is how many times did you hear just the constant language of, you know, our our kids are going to be ruined if they take prayer out of schools, if they start teaching, you know, some sort of secular uh, studies and. Um, well, and the, they, the, and the if, thing now would be uh, sexual. Uh, the sexual revolution, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but just in terms of like, in terms of, uh, you heard us, you know, I can't believe they're taking prayer out of schools. You can't bring the Bible. You can't read the Bible. We can't have the Bible in this place. And just kind of outrage and fear at what would happen to our children um, as these things become more and more hostile outside of our homes, mm-hmm. right? But now, as a as a young man, what what strikes me more is there's a lot of people who were saying that who absolutely did nothing in regards to valuing that scripture and prayer and devotion and doctrine inside the home. Hmm. 
So my, my claim a couple weeks ago was, why should we get so mad at the culture for throwing out the Bible if in our own homes and with our own kids, we don't really do anything with it? Does that make sense? Yeah, we're not cherishing it, teaching yeah, it, was, it. It was always like, it was always, it was always like this is what I heard, and I'm, I'm, this was not my parents, but I, I felt like I was hearing it a lot from other people, is, you know, our kids are ruined because of it being taken away out there when there wasn't much emphasis on, are you actually doing anything with in your homes with the scripture and prayer and doctrine mm-hmm. at all. It's like that, that's a disconnect to me, right? Because it's already really, it's functionally thrown out of your own home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just another way in which we're, what we're really frustrated with, perhaps what we could be frustrated with is, yeah. well, we'd like this to be reinforced elsewhere. So we don't have to do the harder work ourselves. Maybe. Probably. I mean, there's probably it, some of that there. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. That, those are just two. Th- that verse is something I heard a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. This, that, and then this other thing with, with kind of the outside culture, kind of that sort of boogeyman being Well, delicious. and I think just in general, there's something we've got to be really careful of, which is, you know, I, I was talking about this on Sunday, right? This um, in, in my sermon, and it comes up often in Scripture. We, we pointed out that it's the most often given command is do not fear. Um, I think any parenting that is fear-based is bound to take some dysfunctional turns, right? And there's, again, lots that we could reasonably fear about the influence of our society and our culture and that kind of thing. But but I think we've got to push back and fight hard against parenting um, out of fear. Whether that be even the decisions we make when our kids are really young, maybe, and the whole helicopter parenting maybe phenomenon, all the way to when they're maybe older and more being socially shaped by other outside influences and that kind of thing. Um, and obviously we want to be wise. We want to be um, appropriately protective. We don't want to unnecessarily expose or feed our kids to the wolves, so to speak, or anything like that. But but neither do we want to be so afraid that we're kind of paralyzed or we're... Um, I don't know, I think it's a hard balance maybe to strike, but I do think we have to be conscious of the the temptation and the tendency to parent out of fear. And and we got to try to be filled with faith in the way that we approach our parenting. Um, Kids don't necessarily respond particularly well, and and they can see it, right? Like as they get older, they go, oh, mom and dad were so afraid of this that they made these decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I just think we have to, it's something that we need to at least be conscious of. Yes, for sure. Okay, let's move on to maybe some, instead of critiques of, I don't know, parenting cliches. Sure. Um, maybe some helpful things. So going back to you, what you brought up right off the bat in terms of uh, parenting and, and sh- uh, shepherding our kids um, being a community project. Mm. So I remember, I remember listening, this was a while, while ago, I remember listening to Al Mohler give a talk on uh, dealing with modern culture and, and raising children and some of the complexities of, of our day. And he, he brought up this quote from Hillary Clinton. It was, it, she titled this, I think this was the title of her book, and it was, uh, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. Mm-hmm. Right? And obviously there's, you know, that's... Uh, An old wise saying. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, which is... Uh, did, a, you're saying that didn't originate a, with Hillary. I do. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it did. But obviously, there's a political point that she's trying to make there in terms of of 
Uh, she wants some, you know, she's arguing for parenting being a community project as well, probably in more state-funded ways and, and other things, and probably helpful, you know, kind of cultural things as well. But so, so Moeller, he, he, what he says is, uh, I just want to reshape it to this. It takes a church to raise a child. Mm-hmm. So that's, what, that's how, he, how he worded it. And I thought, that was, I thought he was spot on. Mm-hmm. Here's where I see uh, the need for that today, is the convergence of two things. One, how, especially as this, as COVID had made, has made this worse, how individualized our lives are hmm. in terms of uh, there's not as much overlap and dependent on one another um, in terms of parenting uh, because we're, we're all in our own little worlds. And the convergence of that with the expectations on parents in our culture today um, and I don't know, this is maybe a hot take or a, a hot button issue, but like just a, what's expected out of, let's just take dads, for instance, right? So dad, let's say he goes to, he's supposed to go to work and, and continue to move up at work and do well. Yep. Supposed to be attentive and very uh, engaged with his wife, you know, on a, on a relational level, on a romantic level, on a spiritual level, you know, mm-hmm. there has to be, there has to be, that needs to be really well. You have to be, there's an expectation to be at all your kids' games and, and know what's going on in their life yeah. and have intimate relationships with each one of them individually. And there's like all of this expectation to be so much to your and, kids. And if you're a Christian, be engaged with the Word of God and yes. men's ministry yeah. and at church and community. Same thing for mothers, right? There's so much that's expected. 100%. Here. Yeah. And so you, so you take, you put, you mix that with individualism where that person has to fulfill all of those roles for their child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a burden that parents have to face. Like, well, like honestly, I, I look at past generations. I mean... Think about two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, when you had to, when you had, honestly. How old do you think I am? (laughs) Well, yeah, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, Uh, but you know when when Jim McCauley was in the Civil War. (laughs) How old do you think Jim McCauley is? I'm kidding. Shout out for Jim. Jim. I know he's listening to me right now with his headphones on, (laughs) cracking up. Uh, Uh, But you think about think about the expectations. Think about these expectations in past generations. You you had to raise your own food. You had to do pretty much every single task. Do you think you had time to have intimate relationships at a harmonizing level with all seven of your kids and and your wife and and be a be the community citizen like? There just seems to be a lot of cultural pressure to fill, fulfill a lot of roles. Yeah, probably on the expectations today. that are only allowed to really take shape in a really affluent society. Uh, yes, there's definitely <laughs> right. an, an idea of dare I say privilege in some of the uh, in some of the ideas of being so involved in all of these things. Yeah. Um, like how, how does it, how does it, how does a guy or let's take a single mom who, who maybe has to work two jobs? Yeah, my grandmother she was a single mom. She worked three jobs. Mm-hmm. She didn't have time to necessarily yeah. be. As, and she's trying to be mom and dad. Yes, simultaneously. So right. it's like how like some of these expectations on the individual right. in our individualized society, I think burden parents to death unnecessarily, unnecessarily. maybe unbiblically. Uh, yeah. So, like one of the great joys for me in parenting is actually to see. We, we laugh. I think it's okay to say this. We, we laugh. Um, you know, there's a number of uh, people that are in our lives, and I'll, I'll think most 
point most specifically about my my boys, my sons, because they're getting older and so they have a bit mm-hmm. more independence. But like, you've spent time recently with one of my sons outside of our house and just getting some time and talking together and mm-hmm. connecting. Uh, he'll be playing basketball later on with uh, both of my sons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a number of men who have that kind of relationship with my sons in the different ways. Older and younger men. Oh, older and younger. Just I young mean, guys my, like me. my son Ephraim has taken to just recently in a funny way. He refers to Kevin Mayner as me papa because, <laughs> and we joke about how Kevin's yeah, the dad yeah, that yeah. Ephraim always wanted, and uh, and they hang out together. And Kevin, uh, man, he comes to his soccer games and basketball games, and uh, comes and has dinner with our family. And, and man, our kids love Kevin. And yeah. Um, and uh, and so we have those kind of relationships around our family where I, you know, I've had at different points sons interested in different things where I don't have any competency in that yeah, thing, right? So sure. let's say technology or in, in theater and artistic stuff. And so what have I done? I've tried to encourage my sons to connect with men in our church who have those competencies that I don't have to yeah. go, hey, they can help you in this in ways I can't. And yeah. so I'm utterly reliant on... It, for me to give shape to my sons and, and my daughters as well as they get older too, um, to give shape to them in a way that, let's say we honor that Proverbs 22, 6, that, that raise a child in the way that he should go. Well, I I don't presume to know all the ways that they should go, yeah, yeah. right? There's a lot of ways that God might be taking them that I'm not very equipped to help lead them into or equip them for. The yeah. best thing I can do with for my sons is give them broad exposure to yeah. and and connection to men who love Jesus and whose callings are varied, yeah. whose competencies and aptitudes are varied, uh, whose personalities are varied, and allow them to build a broad set of relationships to see a broad outworking of what it looks like to be a man of God yeah. and and to encourage them to learn from that community of, of men. Yeah. Um, so it's not a deficiency, so, right? Rather, it's you see a need that can be fulfilled in community. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I'm a much better parent by having friends who love my kids and are willing to invest in them in ways that that supplement, amplify, come alongside. You yeah. know what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, some of my best parenting might be that I am out not outsourcing but entrusting the influence over my sons to other people in our yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is huge in terms of spiritual, just in terms of the way the New Testament kind of just flows with the idea of spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, mm-hmm. um, and putting a community responsibility on raising up children in mm-hmm. these different ways because of this natural inability to be everything you can possibly are expected to be to your children. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible. And and I think a lot of parents maybe might might feel bad that they can't be these things when the, without realizing they cannot be these things. Mm-hmm. So so I, I look at myself. I had a I have a phenomenal father. Mm-hmm. I have I have no complaints about my father. Love you Doug. Love love yes. Love me I'm some Doug. Gonna, I'm not going to call him Doug, but <laughs> I can call him Doug. You can call him Doug. Yeah. Um, but he would be completely comfortable with me saying that there are things that I learned from other men in areas that he just he either didn't have the capacity to or we it just we just didn't have the time to do mm-hmm. um, that are that are vital to who I am today. Sure. There were there was uh, friends' dads who helped teach me how to do some things with my hands that. 
have been invaluable to shaping me as a man. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a teacher at my Christian high school who is the reason why I'm in seminary today because he started talking to me about theology in a deep way and talking about things that um, other people, including my dad, just that they just didn't have the the. the I mean, this guy had a PhD in theology, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like there's these and, shapings of yeah. Me that and by are the not, way, we're not being misogynistic when we say these things. We're just men, yes, right? And and we and my older children are sons, and so I've gotten to see this play out more in them, and so we. We're, we're speaking in male-specific ways, but all of this applies very much to, to, yes. to women and mothers. Yes. And, I'm and sure. I'm well. sure. I'm sure. If our wives were sitting here, they would give the same relationships. Yeah, hundred percent. I just want to just want to explicitly acknowledge right. that. Um, and so these aren't deficiencies in my dad that he couldn't provide those uh, those skills in these areas. It's actually it made him freedom to be the best dad. In the areas he was yeah. In good. fact, I think the more the more debilitating deficiency as a dad would be the insecurity that keeps you from entrusting some of that shaping to other people in your yes. life, right? So there's something about being a secure enough man that says, "I need these other people around yeah. me to give shape." I mean, and I can speak to this as well from my own experience with a great father who taught me a great many. I've learned more from my dad about being a man than any other person, but I haven't learned exclusively from my father. Mm-hmm. And part of my learning to be a man was seeing the interplay of my dad's yeah. relationships with other men and seeing, you know, but, but like, you know, I could think of something like, uh, you know, where Jesus says he's gentle and lowly in heart. My dad wasn't a gentle man per se that like, nobody would really describe him as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his, my dad was a, uh, my, my dad is a, uh, he can take a hill. Right. So, um, but I learned gentleness from other men as a legitimate masculine quality, yeah. let's say. So, yeah, and I learned other other things from plenty of other men and still do. And so, um, man, I but, but one thing that I definitely learned growing up in a church community where this kind of thing was communal in a sense was that in the season of life as an adolescent, which we were speaking specifically of in middle and high school, when you kind of know everything and your parents know nothing, mm-hmm. well, when all these other men that I respect and look up to and who I appreciate, they respect... Um, my dad and and they reinforce the core things that my dad values and all that stuff, all of a sudden it actually lends cred- more credibility to my dad too. Yes. Because now I've got all these other men who are saying essentially the same things with their lives yeah. and with their priorities and yeah. and with their words. And yeah. and so that all gets upheld and reinforced in a helpful way. And, um, and, and it, there's a point at which as a parent, you're just not the primary shaping force right now. I mean, yeah. you kind of are maybe behind the scenes, but your kids are looking elsewhere mm-hmm. um, to be shaped. And so for me, man, what a gift that in our church I can, I have, you know, such, you know, godly mm-hmm. um, men around me and around my kids who take time for them, who pour mm-hmm. into them, who genuinely enjoy them and, and like them. Lots of men and women couples who w- gladly want to take your daughters off your hands. For oh you my gosh. Time, right? Yeah. I, I was sitting there the other day and, uh, McLean, our four year old is she's whistling. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, you're doing a great job whistling. And she goes, Oh, you know who the best whistler in the world is? Hmm. And I was like, who? And she goes, Mr. Zach. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> like, and it, she uh-huh. had stayed overnight with Zach and Jasmine Gilcrease uh-huh. uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. And apparently, Zach was showing off, like, you know, strutting his whistling game. Wow. And McLean remembered it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, it totally go. It surrounds all of our, our kids. Yeah. And I am I am richly just blessed and really, really grateful that we're surrounded by yeah. so many folks like Here's that. Here's what so. I think it also protects for, for kids, any kid, is the more 
of these influences and these spiritual mothers and fathers that they have, the, the less of a blow it is when one of them falls. Mm. So, for instance, I know a lot of people, young, I, I know a lot of people growing up who, um, it was like mom and dad, but, but you, this one youth pastor, right, was their, was their life and world. I mean, it was just their everything, yeah. their lifeline, right? And that youth minister either uh, just moved on to another job, as many sure. youth ministers do, or who want to be lead pastors, right? And good for them. Yeah. Um, and that kid loses their everything. Or yeah. worse, that youth pastor messes up and, yeah. and fails sins, morally. Yeah. And the one person they had outside of mom and dad is gone. Yeah. And so having this plurality of community and, and influences on kids and in, in this shaping actually protects them that if one of them falls, their whole world doesn't, and, and a lot of times their faith doesn't get ripped up to it, right. ripped out from other them. Because a lot of times these influences on teenagers, particularly these spiritual influences, like, like let's say, let's say me and one of your sons, right? If, if I was to, to leave tomorrow, or let's say I messed up and I, mm-hmm. and my, and his entire kind of relationship of faith has has been modeled and kind of discipled just through me. Yeah. And then that, your son feels like, is this even real? This yeah. one, you know, because the one guy I knew who was legit here sure. is gone. Yeah. And I've known plenty of men who have had failures and have wandered from or, you know, moved away from faith. But for every man like that that I knew as a young man, there's 10, 15, 20. Yeah. That, that were steady and faithful. Yes. Right. Yes. So yeah. this both, promotes positive ways to to engage a child in so many different ways, but also protects them from being on an island with just one of these influences. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the last, the, there's only other, really one other thing I wanted to talk about quickly was um, speaking to parents who probably feel like as 99% of parents do when their kids get into Especially middle high school age. I mean, there's exceptions, of course. Let, let me let me put one last little note on what you were just saying, okay, and ahead, that is ahead. just to say, I say that I've got a lot of this. Here's part of the reason I have a lot of this. I'm the pastor, mm-hmm. so my kids are maybe more um, visible in that sense. People, they're more in the consciousness of people in our church. Um, but man, there's a bunch of kids in our church, and I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying they don't. I don't know if all the kids in our church have this. Um, I assume that not all of them do. I assume not all of them do. And so I just would just encourage you, like if you're part of gender, like, man, this is a real ministry that you can have to parents, to coming yeah. alongside parents and loving, investing in, pouring into, surrounding yeah. their their kids, especially as they get to these more critical stages of development, like middle and high school, when maybe they're becoming more difficult for mom and dad mm-hmm. to have godly men and women around yeah. those parents are greatly supported by us if they'll, if you take the time. And so more than just my kids need this, right? Yes. And so I'm really grateful for it, but I hope it becomes the experience that, that all of our parents yes. have. Uh, yes. So. And the diversity in the body well, well, the diversity in the body will, is necessary to to connect with the diversity of our kids. Yes, <laughs> yeah. You know? there, yeah. I can't connect to every kid, right? And not every kid can connect to me, right? There are some kids who are going to connect a thousand times percent more with a certain type of person, right. Than another one does. Sure. Um, I think God gave diversity in the church for this very reason. Mm-hmm. To raise up a very diverse group of kids in all of our churches. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's a huge point. That's a huge point. 
The other simple little thing I wanted to just encourage parents with who, uh, as many do when they get into these probably frustrating years with their child, is uh, what, do you, what do you do when you feel like your kids are, you know, they're not receptive, they're struggling, they're rebellious, they're not open at all about to talking about spiritual things or even things in general. <laughs> um, what do you do with that time? Because that time happens with kids. Where I mean, it could, that could be a month, that could uh, be six years. I have years. not discovered that time yet in my parenting. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, and so I, I've had parents ask me this as a as a young person, not as a parent myself, but I mean, I, I had that stage with my parents where I didn't give a rip about Christianity, anything. Like, yeah, you're closer to that than you are to having children who yes. are that. Yes. Right. So I know what that experience is like as a son, yeah. more than I, obviously than I can know as a father. Yeah. And the response that I've that I've given that that uh, both from my own experience and watching other parents uh, try to deal with this is instead of getting so caught up with trying to fix things for your child and trying to kind of force them into becoming something they just aren't at this moment, um, is modeling for your kids what it looks like to be a Christian so that one day when they turn around, they know what, it, they know what it's like mm-hmm. to... To walk down back to, to walk back down the path. Yep. Uh, I mean, there was. A, I can't tell you how much in terms of my own parents that I did not realize how much I unconsciously consumed or, or, or recognized um, in them as what it looks like to be a Christian. That meant nothing to me as a teenager mm-hmm. for most of my teenage years. Nothing. But when I became a Christian. I knew what it was like to have a prayer life. Mm. I knew what it was like to to hold my temper. I knew what it was like to to read my Bible. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew what that was like, yeah. and um, that meant nothing to me when I was in that moment as a teenager. But it meant everything to me that I that I had a model of what it looked like for when I was ready to turn around. Yeah, I mean, I. So I think parents are often, we're looking for immediate fruit. We're looking for, we want to see the results now. But again, parenting, if you go back to Proverbs 22, it's the long game. So that's what we're playing. And I would offer maybe a couple thoughts even for, because this applies to when they're younger too, by the way. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about things like, let's say, the glory of God, or the love of God even, Mm -hmm. or grace of God, those are all big, important ideas, but, you know, for McLean, for Reagan at four and seven, yeah. how, how far into that do I go? Cognitively. Yeah, hard. like, can they really grasp all, what that means? Uh, the holiness of God, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think one of the things that you want to do in parenting is you want to create categories and... Um, well, when it comes to that theological stuff, for instance, you want to create categories in which kids, as they grow and mature and develop, so uh, they, you know, the glory of God is sort of abstract, but now maybe uh, your family, or maybe they're, they're, they're off in college and they take a trip 
do a study abroad and they're in the mountains way outside of your control and maybe they haven't been walking with God, um, but they they go hiking in a mountain, let's say, and behold some beautiful landscape and mm-hmm. from some you know beautiful place, right? And they look out and all of a sudden their love for the outdoors connects to this category you gave them of the glory of God. And yeah. they behold something in the created world and in something of the reality of who God is and his mm-hmm. grandeur lands. Mm-hmm. And so I, part of what we're trying to do as parents is you want to give your kids appropriate working categories for them to then, as they live life and experience life apart from you, they have a proper place to put those things. Um, and, um, and so I think that's part of what we're, what we're doing in those things. And then I think at the experience level, you want to give them an experience of as something as close to um, the mercy, grace, love, acceptance, safety, welcome that we find in Christ. You want to give them something where the more they hear, when they hear the gospel, they don't, at least their thought isn't, well, then why did mom and dad claim to follow Christ and give me this alternative experience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, we, some, uh, I read this book recently, Gentle and Lowly, and I just was scrambling for it over here because I remembered reading in the acknowledgments of the book. So that a whole book written on Matthew 11, 28, mm-hmm. Jesus saying, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And um, the, the author, Dane, was it Dane? Yeah, Dane Ortland says, uh, to my dad, Ray, whose life and preaching have convinced me of the heart of Jesus. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what his upbringing was all like. I just know his dad is a pastor yeah. and that he could say of his dad as a grown man, you know, older than me, he could say that as I encounter now for myself yeah. something of the, the heart of Jesus, I can connect that directly to yeah. my experience of my father. And he probably would have never said that at 16. Never. Even in the best of circumstances, yeah. a sixteen year old wouldn't be able to yeah. say that. Yeah. So I think we're I think that's what we kinda wanna do. And and then I'll, just to sort of supplement or kind of flank that, um, there's a book that I read some years ago called Um Grace and Practice by a guy named Paul Zoll, who's an Anglican bishop in the UK, I think. Um and uh and in that he breaks down the outworking of grace within different relationships. Mm-hmm. And so within that, I mean, he talks very specifically, like what does grace look like, uh, in with, um, uh, with a, a spouse, what does grace look like with, um, an adult child versus an adolescent child versus a, uh, a, a little child. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about adolescence specifically, he talks about how kids move from, in, in early childhood, they want to experience love by, by behaving and, and doing what they're supposed to do because that's what they get affirmation. But then they, they, they developmentally get to a place where they want to test the boundaries of that. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, I know that when I behave well, I get love and affection in a normal situation. Um, but what happens if I don't behave well? What happens if I push back? What, yeah. And so it's not conscious, right? This is just developmentally what kind of happens. Yeah. And so as kids get a little older, they start to test the boundaries of that love. And so in adolescence, we experience what we think of as that rebellious phase, maybe, and the, the thing you were describing earlier where mom and dad are idiots and da-da-da. And he says, I think helpfully anyway, it's been helpful to me, um, that in any case, no matter how you approach parenting... Uh, the, the tendency of most parents in that season is to get more l- like law focused of mm-hmm. more rule centered, more yeah, yeah, do yeah. this, do this, do this. Yeah. 
Um, and, and it's not to say that we should just let our kids go run wild. So I'm not saying that there's, this has to be applied with wisdom, but he says that, um, in, in pretty much any case, kids are going to wander at some level from mom and dad, Mm -hmm. uh, at at whatever stage of freedom they can get to, to do that. Um, and the question is, um, will they come home? Mm -hmm. And, and so he suggests that, that the more you give law, the less likely they are to come home. And the more you give grace, the more likely they are to, they'll return. And so, um, and so people will like, they'll kind of wander, they'll go out on their own and they'll do their own thing at some point And they'll, you know, figure out their place in the world. And, and the, the faithfulness with which we embody the heart of Jesus and the gospel and, and such will have a lot to do with whether or not um, they find their way back relationally to you and even spiritually into yeah. to following Jesus wholeheartedly. And so I think we just want to focus on giving them an experience of that. And, and yeah, so those are a couple of things that just come to mind as we're talking about it. Yeah. And I think that's ex- that kind of wrestling with, because that's not a clean line. Long no, it's, it's not. I mean, that's a hard, that is not a clean Not in parenting, that's it's really, really tough. Especially in the teenage years. But it's something you've got to think about because when that kid's 19, the the kind of easy law-ism is no longer really available mm-hmm. in the way that it was. Yeah. And so if you don't think through that, how is my relationship going to change in this way? Once, once that easy kind of law-ism isn't available for me to use... I think a lot of parents get stuck because they've been used to using that as their relationship of parenting. And then when that, that's just no longer, when your kid becomes an adult, it's just that you can't interact that way anymore. Yeah. And the relationship changes. So starting to think about that stuff a little bit earlier is really Mm -hmm. helpful. I think the other thing that in terms of encouraging a church, in terms of raising children communally, let's say, is we also have to develop within the community a sense of, hey, our kids have to be okay to mess up. Yeah. Right. Like the whole church can't be hard on every kid who, who hits those worst moments and worst stages. Right. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are having a hard enough time with them. Like what they need from you as church family is safe, a safe place to, to sort of struggle. Um, and so they don't need like mom and dad bear the brunt of having to hold the line and Mm -hmm. establish boundaries and those kind of things. And I, I, I love that even in more tense moments within our family over the years, I think most of our kids have been able to have some bad moments around their church family. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would want to encourage us to let kids be kids. I think sometimes as adults, we some, for some reason, we expect more from our kids than we expect from ourselves. So we'll give ourselves room to act like buffoons in, in our relationships, but then our yeah. kids, and we make bad decisions, let's say, um, and we certainly made bad decisions when we were 14, 18, 22, mm-hmm. 28, and even still. And then we want to be shocked when our kids make bad decisions yeah. when they're in those stages of development. And so let's treat our kids like the kids in our church like humans yeah. who are in process and give them room to grow. That's a really important yeah. role that I think we have with, yeah. our, with the young people in our church. Yeah. So I think bottom line is, going back to that proverb 22.6, what we want is to, again give our children a path of what it looks like to follow the way of the Lord so that when they probably do stray from it or think about straying from it, uh, they have somewhere to turn around and go back to. Yeah. That's the big takeaway. And uh, that's all I have to say. And 
Yeah, I just, again, would just want to reiterate, you have a part to play in the role yes. of the children in your life, even if they're not your children, yeah. a significant role. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that as a parent with six kids who has benefited from and who still needs much mm-hmm. reinforcement and help and support. And so um, to see yourself, if you are uh, uh, beyond adolescence, as having a role yeah. in the shaping and influencing of that next generation. Yes. All right, hope this was helpful, and uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.